Father, we come and we look to you. We look to you who, in whom we find grace. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for grace that by its own definition is undeserved. It is a gift. It is gracious. And so we come this morning recognizing that we are all here by grace. And even the air we breathe is a testimony to your grace, your common grace. That even since Genesis chapter 3, we are fallen and we are broken. Our minds go awry, our bodies go awry, our hearts go awry, and we, we give ourselves over to idols. And so even this, the sun shining and, and your grace is abounding and seeing all these things, every breath that we have in our lungs is a testimony to your grace even now. Whether we are here and we know the Lord or not, you are being gracious to each of us. And we come and we pray, looking to you, the Lord who is over all things. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us indeed to drink deeply of your grace this morning. To come as those who are in need of grace every hour. Those who live by grace. Those who have been saved by grace. Those who look to your grace for every hour of every day to come into all eternity. We look to you. And so help us, we ask, help us to rejoice in this grace and help us to see it as we turn to your word and your grace as it spills out as we've already seen again and again in the Gospel of John. So open our eyes to see it. And anyone here who doesn't know you this morning, open their eyes by your grace to taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Help them to see that they need you more than anything or anyone else. So help them, Lord, this morning and help us. May you help us, Lord, that your word would take its place in our hearts and minds. May it affect us in every way. May it affect our hands and our feet and even our knees, we pray. And so we look to you and we ask for your grace and blessing as we turn to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be in John 13 this morning, beginning a new chapter. So John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. So when you think of the word servant, what do you think of? You know, and we have our Bibles and we see a lot that it says about servants in scripture when you when you think of that word servant do you think you know prideful is that does that come to your mind you know the first thing oh yeah that's that's what a servant prideful you know um know it all is that is that someone that comes to your mind as you think of a servant how about unreliable you know stingy you know uncaring 
false. Is, is that what comes to your mind as you think of servant? And, and I think to answer probably on your behalf, the answer will be no. You know, I doubt any of those qualities came to your mind when you're thinking of the word servant. And in fact, it's just the opposite of every one of those, right? Not, not prideful, but humble. Not know-it-all, but teachable. You know, not uh, you know, stingy or any, any of that or unreliable, but faithful and giving and caring and genuine. Some of the things that, those are some of the things I think of, you know, as I think of the word servant, especially as we, we look at what Scripture says of servants. And so those are also some of the qualities I think of as I look back on people in my own life, you know, who have just emulated, you know, servanthood. I remember one time my, my vehicle broke down as I, was, as I was driving to work, and this gentleman at our church, you know, he, he uh, you know, was a, known as a servant. And here I was, broken down, thinking no one from my church would even notice. But he saw. And he, he stops and he, you know, gets out and he helps me and get back on the road and get back to work. You know, just this servant heart, you know, no matter what's going on, willing to interrupt the day and just kind of come and be there. You know, and... I think of my wife, who I'm blessed to have with us this morning, you know, first time here, in a, you know, since COVID began. So praise the Lord for that. Amen. But I think of her, you know, she is an ex- amazing example to me of a heart that desires to serve other people and to serve Christ. You know, she doesn't have to, but when, you know, she and our children go, on vacation or go to go see family or whatever it is, you know, she'll, she'll make meals for, for me throughout the week while she's gone, you know. And so she doesn't have to do that, but she, she wants to do that. She loves to serve in that way, you know, and I, I personally like ironing shirts or my shirts, you know, but she, she also just said, you know, no, I, I, want, I want to do that and serve you um, and iron your shirts for you, and so she she does that as well. It's something she insists uh, on doing as a way to bless me. She loves people, and she loves to do anything she can for others. And I'm sure you know you could, if you were up here, you could tell me of examples in your own life of people that have just demonstrated this heart of servanthood. Well, as we look at Scripture. We see that, that word again and again. You know, servants or even slaves of Christ. Well, this morning we have him who went before us. Him who is most certainly highest of all, yet became lowest of all for us. So let's, let's see this then beginning here in John 13, verse one, may God bless the reading of his infallible word. Amen. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a servant, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. Amen. Well, from here, as we begin this new chapter in John 13, so from here on, John 13 to John 17, we have this kind of intimate look into these final moments of teaching and of instruction from our Lord as he goes and he teaches the disciples. So we are, as we have seen again and again, we've felt that even how near we're getting to the cross, right? And at this point, you may be thinking, well, I thought the cross was just right around the corner. Well, we're not there yet. We still have chapters 13 through 17, and don't just think, well, I want to get to the cross as fast as I possibly can. Instead of that, we are to come to these chapters and think, I need to learn more from my Lord. He has more for me to learn and for me to sit under his feet and to be taught by him. And so that is to be our attitude, not just simply, I want to get to the Passion Week. And let's just get entirely into the cross. Let's instead, right now, in these weeks or however long it takes to get from John 13 through 17, let us not drop a mic on the floor, but let us get on our feet or get on our knees and learn from Christ. Amen. So may that be our demeanor as we go into kind of this different sort of 
section in the Gospel of John. So there's much more to learn. And so our passage here, it begins then with what Jesus knew. What Jesus knew. So verses 1 through 3. So before you know, he washes anybody's feet, we have here verse 1. You know, Jesus knew. And then verse 3, Jesus knowing. And even verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. And so he knew all these things. And then he went on to wash his disciples' feet. Now, as an aside, I think it's, it's good that we notice the order here. So the order of, you know, knowing something unto, then going and doing something. And so I point this out because we see this again and again in all variety of places in Scripture. And, you know, for example, one, one major place that we see this again and again is in the New Testament epistles, you know, in, in the letters of the New Testament. So often what, what Paul will do is he will, he will say, this is what you are, and so now go and be what you are, right? So that's an indicative imperative we see is this kind of structure in the epistles. You are this, you belong to Christ, you are his, he's bought you, you are, you know, redeemed. And now because of him, because of Christ, and he is your life, now go and live for him in your homes, in your marriages, in raising your children, in your workplace, and everywhere else. And so we see that you are this, so then go do this. So it begins with what you should know, you know. Know this, and so I don't know if you've experienced this, but when I was a boy, you know, you know, people would tell me, usually after I made some, you know, big blunder, you know, why did you do that? Just common sense, you know, not to do that. What were you thinking, little Andy, you know? That's what I was called when I was younger. I was Andy, not Andrew. And so, you know, and of course you just feel really dumb, you know, when people say that. Well, what was often common sense to them, it was not at that time so sensical to me. Well, why? And, and I think if, if all of us just look back, I think that's not just something I ran into. It probably was something you ran into as well. After I grew up a bit more and learned more, it did become common sense. But I had to learn a bit more, Right? I had to learn how the, the world worked, how things are. I had to walk through life a bit more to understand why this should be common sense. And then it became common. But the knowing, the understanding part, it came first. And then I saw it's common sense. And I say this, and this is just all aside because we're seeing Jesus know and then do. Because the order matters. There's a certain danger in being a pragmatist. We don't see this as a call from Scripture 
thou shalt be a pragmatist, where it's all doing without knowing something first. If it works, just do it, you know. So you've heard that, you've lived that. But the problem is it may work, but it may also be very, very wrong. Instead, we see the emphasis again and again in Scripture upon what we believe. You believe this, and so because you believe this, go and do this. That's the order. That is vital we get that. I mean, just ministry in a church can go awry when you mess up that order. So just consider if you got or looked at salvation this way and got it all backwards. You must do something first and then you'll know or you'll be saved versus you must first know Christ by faith and you'll be saved. Then you'll be saved. Know Him by faith, then you're saved and you're free to do for His glory because you love Him. He's your treasure it's not a burden. I'm not doing it to be saved. I'm doing it because I am saved and I love Him. And so flowing from faith we do. So the pragmatist going at the wrong direction there is no good. So knowing Him comes first and then comes the fruit. Then comes the doing, the fruit of faith. And so... We see something of this here with Jesus. He knows this, and so then he does this. And the first thing that Jesus knew here is he had love to the uttermost. He had love to the uttermost. So he knew it was his hour. He knew he was going to be going back to the Father. He knew he had come from the Father, and I know that can be all a great deal confusing. <laughs> he was from the Father, but he had eternally existed as the Son forever. So in one sense, he, even at this very moment, he is still with the Father. So it's not, so that's how it can be confusing. It's like, well, he's going back, but he's, he's there, you know? And so uh, that's how it can be confusing here. But it's saying that now he would go back, as in the theological term, the person of Christ, God, and man, he would go back. And this doesn't mean that Jesus had ceased being the Son that he had ceased being fully God and taking on flesh. No, in his incarnation with every moment, he was utterly and completely God. He was not emptied of even one attribute of God. He took on flesh. That doesn't mean that he took off divinity. And so, at this point, he had done that for which he had come. He had loved to the uttermost, doing all of the Father's goodwill. Every word, every deed, everything pleasing to the Father. What an example already just there for us. And so in verse 1, 
It says that he had loved his own who were in the world. And so these are those who were, who were set apart before the foundation of the world. And specifically, yes, his disciples here, but also kind of those who would be his new covenant people. As he's already talked about again and again in the Gospel of John, his sheep, his own, his friends and he had loved them John 79 we're not there yet but he says I am praying for them I'm not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours so we really are getting a in-depth intimate view into this relationship between Jesus and those who know him and he would love them to the end we love you to the uttermost, all the way to the cross. And so we see he knew he had loved and would love to the uttermost. And then we see a second thing he knew also. He knew Judas would betray him. Verse 2, you could even put a comma Verse 11 also. <laughs> and so verse 2, it's not merely an informational note. It does that. It does tell us some things about Judas and what's going on with him. But it does more than that. He knew, Jesus knew this also and still bowed and still washed Judas's feet. And Judas, we see there in verse 2, he had, a, he had aligned himself with the devil. And what, a, what a fearful statement. Aligned himself with the devil. And you know, this aligning oneself with the devil is sadly still how the devil works today. You know, Peter, he warns in 1 Peter 5.8, and he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's what he does. And he is after you. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour Christ's church. And he wants to undo the progress of the gospel. That's his will for your life. <laughs> That's his will for this church. He wants to find some way to get someone in line with the devil. And bring it down. Like a lion. Now that, that imagery there is unpleasant. That lion imagery. You know, a lion's devouring jaws. I mean, it's not kind of friendly tearing you to shreds with its razor-sharp claws as it's destroying you. That's the imagery we have here and. Judas has aligned himself with that. So beware, friends. I will say it again. 
beware. There are people around us, going around us right now that are like that. Perhaps even unbeknownst to themselves, yet the devil has put it into the heart, some evil gospel-thwarting motive. Yet let me tell you this, and know this well, that that is a fool's errand. God's work will not be stopped. And if you're aligned with the devil, hear this as well. God's work will not be stopped. It will not be halted. Or it will not be kept from progressing. The gospel will press on. The gates of hell will not prevail over the church. Satan would be and has been defeated. He is a defeated enemy. So don't fear him, church. Fear God. And if you are aligned with the devil, my goodness, Lord have mercy on you and repent right now. Get on your knees and seek his face. Jesus, he knew all that. He knew that's what Judas was about. And so then third, he knew as well who he was and where he was going. Verse 3, it says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. So Jesus, he has all authority. He is in control. Everything is his. The cold, yes, this this past week, the cold, the hot, the snow, the rain, the wind, and the whirlwind, the stars and the galaxies and the planets. So all is his, and he knows it. He knows who he is. He knows he's infinitely great. And his desire is to do all the good will of the Father. And so he's heading to fulfill all the good pleasure of his Father in all its fullness. Even as Isaiah 53 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So we are intended to see that Jesus, he is supremely great. In fact, and indeed, he is the greatest of all. We are meant to see all of this before we step on into verses 5 through 17. So there, before we do that, there are at least two implications or applications for us in seeing these three things that Jesus knew. And the first is this, consider the greatness of God. 
Consider the greatness of God. You know, we could look at this scene and everything going on here, and if we looked at it from the world's perspective, we could just think, wow, you know, things are going really bad right now for Jesus. I mean, one of his own disciples is getting ready to betray him. I mean, that's not success, you know. And not just that, the religious leaders, they will succeed. I mean, he, he's a failure. That's what he is. He goes and he is crucified. I mean, look at that. We could look at this and think that way, but we would be wrong. But I think this is often the way that we, you know, we think about life. You know, we just, we just see that's all that's going on in our lives and think, you know, oh man, we are in trouble, <laughs> you know. We see all this stuff around us or what people are saying or what people are doing or whatever is going on in governments and kingdoms and history and all these things and just like, oh no, we're in trouble. But here's where we need to fight to keep our eyes on the truth that God is still God. He is taking all of it all of these things, including those hard things that happen to you and me, and he's bringing it towards its final God-glorifying ends. His purposes are progressing. His name will be lifted up. The kingdom of Christ is far from failing or faltering. It is, in fact, insurmountably sure, undoubtedly fixed. So that's one. And then second, consider God's sure promises. God's promises are to be these massive kind of unyielding anchors in our lives are so vital as we walk through this world with all of its, you know, snares and toils and, and devils. God's promises ground us in what is real and what is true in the midst of accusations, lies, and slander. Even as what may seem like one big failure to the world, Jesus knew. And we are to know also, we are to know his promises from his word and believe even when we are standing right in the midst of a raging storm or a raging sea before us. It is then that we may stand on the precipice of a raging sea and yet hear the words of our Lord in our hearts that says, it is I, do not be afraid. How important it is we remember God's promises right now in the midst of a pandemic. Amen. And so we see that Jesus, he knew all this, even of Judas's betrayal. And what does he do? He still served. 
he still served. And so it says in verse 4, even so he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and takes a towel, or taking a towel, tied it around his waist. So he rose to serve. He took up his towel. And this was a profoundly humble act. And this was just, this is something you wouldn't do. I mean, he, he says later, he's the ma- his, their master and Lord or master, teacher and Lord, you know, and, and, and he's doing this. No, I mean, this, this is unacceptable. This is, the, this is the lowest of low. This is a menial kind of servant kind of place. I mean, wearing those clothes, that's not for you. Yet that's exactly what he does. And yet even in there, even then, as we've seen that He is supreme. He is infinitely great. Indeed, He is the greatest of all. And yet, He still serves. Now, right now, you know, many of you might might be thinking that, you know, I I think I'm pretty great, you know. (laughs) Look at me, you know. Uh, Look what I know, you know. Look what I've done. You know, look look at my position. Look how great I am. You know, I, I remember when I played football, you know, in, in high school, I used to say, you know, I'm the record breaker, the record maker, and the record taker, because my last name's Record. And so that was my idea of myself, how great I am, you know. Yet I never played a varsity game, but how great I am, you know. So I know, I know it's silly, but you know, oftentimes we like to, we like to think kind of like that, right? You know, sure, I may have my faults and all, but in the end, I'm at, at the end of it all, when it's all said and done, I'm, I'm actually pretty great, you know? Now, this is where Jesus is different. We may think we're pretty great, but Jesus was and is truly great, not just kind of this made-up greatness that we have kind of going on within us, you know. He is infinitely great. And his greatness will be on display for all eternity, well beyond this world, such that one million years from now, his name will still be the name of all names. Amen. He is infinitely great, yet... Even so, though he is greater than all, he took up his towel. And he would take up one of the lowest of roles as a servant. And so he took up his towel to serve them. But in washing their feet, we're seeing the truth that he would serve you also. He would serve you also. We see here that he begins, you know, washing their feet, going from one to the next. And then, of course, you know, he comes to Peter. (laughs) And surprise, if you know Peter, you know, he objects, you know. And I don't know if that's entirely surprising as we see Peter and 
you know, he's a man of extremes, you know. He's like all in, you know, or all out, which we'll see later as well. But, you know, he, he, he objects, he refuses, you know, no, 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 you're not, you're not washing my feet. But that's a big deal. If he will not have his feet washed, he will not have any part with Jesus. It's that important. Now you might think to that, you know, man, that kind of seems like an overreaction, you know, on Jesus' part. I mean, no, no part with me unless you let me wash your feet. However, we must remember God takes his symbols very seriously. If you recall, the Sabbath day, it was a day of rest. And what would happen if you broke the Sabbath and the old covenant? Yeah, stoned to death. You're going to die if you break. If you don't rest, you're going to die. I mean, just say it that way, and you're like, whoa, okay. That sounds kind of odd or harsh maybe, but it's not... And you may even remember the man who, just if you thought maybe it wasn't a big deal to like even the small things, the man in Numbers 15 who, who gathers sticks on the Sabbath day and what happened to him? Well, exactly that. He was stoned to death. But why? Because God's symbols matter. The Sabbath rest would point forward to the only salvific rest that is possible. And that in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen. If you would try to work outside of Him, you will not be saved. You must rest. You must rest in Christ. Amen. Or you will not have life. Amen. So God takes very seriously His symbols. And so here also, Jesus' washing, washing of their feet, it prefigured that other kind of cleansing that was getting ready to unfold on the cross. If you have no part of the cross, you have no part in Christ. No cross, no forgiveness, no cleansing, no salvation for you. So, verse 8 if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. His service here would prefigure his greater humble service in the cross, both for them then and for us now. His service to them, his death on the cross is his service for you. Amen. He would humble himself even more than taking up a towel. He would take up a cross in your place. And the cross is enough. It is sufficient. It cleanses. And no more is needed. That's why Peter doesn't need the rest of him cleaned. If you know Christ, you are clean also. 
Thus it is that we have our example. Jesus, he is our example. Though he is their teacher and Lord, they and you are also to go and wash one another's feet. He says there at the end, verse 16 and 17, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So they are to serve, and you and I are to serve. So if, if Jesus would take up his towel, take up your towel also. Christianity, it is not a spectator sport. You and I are to involve ourselves in this service to Christ, in the body of Christ. You know, I remember hearing the story of a church, I believe it was in Brazil, and their church, they asked that all incoming members, one of the first ministries that they were to do was to clean the bathrooms, to clean the toilets. So before they could serve anywhere else in the church, that's where they would have to begin. And, and that kind of heart gets at what Jesus is calling us to hear. Whether we are a new believer or we have been believers for many, many years, whether you are the CEO of a company or you serve tables, we are called to humble service each and every single one of us. And so we are, we are to let the words of Paul from Romans become ingrained into our hands and feet and our hearts and even into our, our knees. And the words are these from Romans 12, 10 through 11. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Amen. And I just ask to that and to this example of Christ what if we were known for this? What if we made it our aim not to out one, outdo one another like in this sort of way? You know what I'm talking about? Competing and wrestling for position. But what if we didn't do that and we sought to outdo one another in joyfully showing honor to each other? I'm going to see how much better I can serve you than you can serve me. You know, I'm going to outdo you and how you serve me. I'm going to serve you back even more. To gladly outdo one another in serving one another where nothing is above you and nothing is beneath you. And the words that I use there are important. You may not have noticed them, but joyfully and gladly serving one another. We're not talking just about mere drudgery and duty here. This isn't legalism. Like, if I serve, then I'll be saved. This is not none of that. It's not gaining favor with God. It's gladly 
joyfully serving one another. I love you, brother and sister. I want to serve you. It's that. And why? Because of verse 17. It gets at the heart of where our hearts are to be. Blessed are you if you do them. And that word blessed means happy, joyful, fortunate. If you do them, there is a gladness that is to be there and serving one another as Christ served us. And so we are to gladly serve any and all people. We'd have this kind of no boundaries sort of service ministry that is just wide open. You know, that's where, that's where you know, tradition in church is like, okay, there's some traditions that are good, but at times those can be walls that hinder ministry from happening for his glory. So ministry that is breaks wide open and says, well, is there a way that we could serve in this way or in this way? Maybe I don't know, maybe you don't know, but I thought of something that maybe we could do that would be God-glorifying and serving others. Well, maybe we could try that. That's ministry wide open. Not institutionalized thinking of the church, but a movement and institutionalization together. We're progressing the gospel and we're to do everything we can to get the gospel out. And not just hold up our walls. If you do that, just close the doors, you know. So a heart to serve all people, anyone, anywhere. And that is what Christ did, isn't it? He went all the way to the cross for you, for the peoples, and for the nations. So we see God's great love for us, for you, and see it and take up the towel. Or if you don't know him this morning, See this also. See what he did for you. See his love for you. See how he can cleanse you from your sin. That guilt, that shame, that dirtiness that perhaps you felt. I remember that. I remember when I didn't know Christ. I just felt dirty. I didn't know what that was there. But that's what that was. And then he saved me. It just, this free I'm free. He saved me. No more guilt, no shame. All my sins have been wiped away. I'm clean. Even as we see Jesus does for the disciples in washing their feet, how important are these symbols? So see, if you don't know him this morning, see how low he became for you. The greatest of all served you and he went all the way to the cross to pay for all your sins. Now, if you don't know him, he's calling you to himself this morning that you would put your faith in him. And I just plead with you, if that's you, consider what Christ has done for you this morning and believe and just let it all go. Let him have it. And for us, those of us here who do know the Lord, those of us who have put our faith in him, he calls us to service. He calls you and I to ask, how can 
I serve. How can you serve? How will you serve? So he's given us his example, not to foster hearts that demand, but hearts that serve. So let's take up our towels. Let's see how he has so served us and so also go and be a servant of all for Christ's sake. Let's pray. Father, I know we're none of I know I'm not bowing my knees right now, but I pray all of us would bow our knees in our hearts right now. As I stand and pray, may we may, as everyone here sits in their pews and prays, may all of us just bow our hearts before you and seek you right now, humbling ourselves and seeing all that Christ has done, seeing all the things we're called to do from your word this morning. Help us, Lord. Help us not to come just as though we're lofty and great, but as those who are called to serve, those who would be servants of all for Christ's sake. So help us, Father. Help us individually. Help us as a church. And for those here who don't know you, just pray, Father, that you would help them also, that they may turn to Christ. They would no longer wander, but find rest in him. So, Father, we pray for your hand now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.